You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 278. So much of great American drama has been about a certain kind of dysfunctional family. And maybe my interests are in the kind of strange dysfunction that exists even among deeply functional families. Stephen Karam. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from, who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar-winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Well, guys, today on the show, we have... Tony Award-winning writer-director and Pulitzer nominee, Stephen Karam. We're here to talk about his new film, The Humans, which is being released by A24. Now, Stephen has been writing for a while. He's written a few other uh, screenplays for features, and this movie is based on one of his award-winning plays. And it is a really interesting exploration of the human experience, to say the least. And we get into it in this one without question. It was a ball talking to Stephen. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Stephen Karam. I'd like to welcome the show, Stephen Karam. How you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing today? I'm good, brother. It's I'm awesome. good. It's, it's I'm so, It is Karam, but it's Karam in in the motherland it is so i was trying to be authentic <laughs> you actually nailed it <laughs> you nailed it no i'm so, doing great i'm excited to be here and uh uh and be on the show i appreciate that man listen i, I just got uh, done watching your film literally 10 minutes ago because uh, it's been it was it was i was like wanted to be as fresh as humanly possible uh and i absolutely loved it and we're gonna get deep into uh that the humans and how you came up with it and all that stuff. But first things first, how did you get started in the business? Uh, good question. Um, uh, I fell in love with storytelling in Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, not through any 
uh, formal education or I, I my sister was in a production of Little Shop of Horrors at East Granton Intermediate School. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the movie and kind of just being blown away and wanting to get as many VHS tapes as I could. So it started just as an interest, public library, how many videos can I take out? How many plays can I read? Um, and because what was going on in my uh, high school were, you know, student theater, I started imitating whatever playwrights, you know, I'd be reading in, in Scranton High School, whatever we were doing. Um, so my first like memory of like creating stuff and participating was both was both acting in school plays and then and then trying to imitate writers that I loved. So just writing skits, sketches. Uh, in eighth grade, I made a, a film version of the Cask of Amontillado for a school project. Nice. With three of my classmates, um, and <laughs> I didn't know how to. I had no editing equipment, so I had to. Uh, using the the crazy heavy camcorder, I had to uh, film it. The only way I could figure out how to do it was to film everything on the tape in order. And so it's like <laughs> if I didn't get something right, you had to just go back and then try not to and eat into the. And try not to eat into the previous take. <laughs> I feel I. Feel, so that was technically my first. That was like my first like stab at directing. But you're laughing. Do you have any? Do you have any similar? Oh, uh, experience I, I've been, first. I've been directing for 25 years, my friend, and I lived in a video store. Uh, I actually worked in a video store uh, in my in my high school day. So my editing in college, before college, was two VHS tapes, two VHS decks, and I just would crash. So I was I was just a step ahead of you in the. That's a huge step. That's, that's a huge. It is like my hero. But but the first ones though, the first very first things I did in high school because there was no technology was exactly your technique. I would I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know what editing was. I didn't even understand the concepts because there was no information about I mean the only information I had was the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark VHS and the making of Star Wars VHS and that was essentially all the film education I had at the time. Not so much on the editing. So I just kind of just like, well, if I shoot it in order and you would see and I actually watched it the other day. I don't know why I, I pulled out my old Pi 8 tapes. And I would see where the splices would come in because I could hit the record button. And if you don't hit pause, it would be like a janky cut. Oh, it's just horrible. <laughs> the janky cut. You get the splice. You know, you have to run with it. But it was that there was a there was a moment where the splice was so bad. I remember we added a, a like I couldn't figure out how to bridge it. And so we added a commercial so that it would seem like the, the staticky splice was like zooping us into a, Genius. a, a sponsor. Oh, so you were doing you were doing like crazy transitions even in in, in camera. <laughs> no, it was we there was this really I think that like I remember the the special effects I remember was like we I did know learn how to there was like a fade button and so there was a great sequence where if you know that short story he's um it is a horror story and it's basically like he ends up the, these these friends end up like one he ends up burying the other alive mm-hmm. like walling him up uh, brick by brick mm-hmm. and. My sister's like place at uh, like play kitchen house had like uh, there was one section of those brick exterior. So I kept like gently fading with this trowel, like using my my dad's like trowel. And then we'd like fade back in and just the like cardboard bricks would be a little higher with the trowel. And then we'd fade out. That's amazing. And then we'd fade back in. But, you know, but the struggle was. This is 
the struggle was the real. Struggle was the, real. the struggle was real. And it's also just, I guess the short answer to your question is that this was not my entryway into making plays and films was not um, the sophisticated route. It was sort of, I was at a public school. There were no artists in my family. So I had uh, wonderful uh, arts educators here and there. And that sparked the, the love. But I was like a, a, probably later than a lot of, when I think of what, um, just incredible access young people and film students now have oh. technology wise. And it's just, I I'm giddy. Like when I, I met people outside of the Paramount last night and just talking to students who, you know, at that time I was like, you know, talking about, well, I still don't have the money to buy anything else. And I don't know how to, I can't make any more movies on my parents' uh, recorder because it takes too long to edit it. Now you're just talking to kids where it's like, I, it's just incredible. Like the, the technology is there. It's, and if it's not there, it's in their hands on their phone. And so they already know and are able to do so much. It's just, it's really just completely thrilling. I don't want to get too far ahead of me, but I felt like the recall to these early experiences was in pre-production, like using my iPhone and Artemis Pro on my phone to just go and line up those opening sky shots of the mm -hmm. opening credits. It's like, um, and just not taking any of that for granted. It's like, I can't imagine being born into that <laughs> technology because <laughs> doing it was just such a sense of wonder, just sharing that with my cinematographer, like the back and forth. And I like to be able to map out something um, in a way that feels pretty sophisticated, especially once you figure out like what the, my, my old ass iPhone is like an iPhone 8S, whatever, you know, I think the focal length, it approximates like 18 millimeter, but, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I did have a lot of recall to like, how incredible is this, that, that I can, um, be having these discussions, like, and I remember just not being able to figure out, uh, how to do anything other than making the movie perfectly in order. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But you learned though, I mean, doing the, that's the thing I think a lot of times filmmakers nowadays and even writers, they don't, uh, when you when you're when you're doing like I sound like two old farts, but like when you do the struggle, like when you're struggling through that kind of technology, you you're forced to learn things that you might not if you have everything at your disposal. So even if you even if you're using your iPhone, there's still you know it's a lot different than shooting with an Airy <laughs> or a Red, you know. So the, and if you're editing on on your iPhone or editing on you know Final Cut or Da Vinci or Premiere. You're learning things, and I, you're right. I can't even comprehend what I would have done with the technology. Ooh, I I, in, in some ways, I guess it's like everybody makes the most out of what, yeah, the pros and cons of where of what you know. And to your point, I think it's interesting. Like, I think about my being unafraid of like uh, starting from not being seduced by the technology. Like, I, I feel like I, right. I wonder if I would be so seduced by if I came of age in a time when I knew how like just maximizing the amount of like coverage you get, especially like over the shoulder, over the shoulder, then we'll go and close, then we'll get the established. If I was like really married to how, because uh, I would have been an obsessive editor as a kid, I, could, I imagine I might have just been so attuned to that, that I would have abandoned um, shots that might have uh, required a little more thought, like, like lost out on the joy of that. And when, when you start by being like, the only way to do it is to like <laughs> rehearse and get things ready. Suddenly, like the idea of doing like a two minute 
shot where you have to like coordinate six actors. Like it's so much of the way the humans is filmed. It's yeah. like, uh, I sort of lo love that. I, I feel like you end up, you, your weaknesses become your strengths because you sort of have both in your arsenal. Like I'm so in awe of how a movie, you know, with a lot of coverage could be taken away from a director and, and made it to a different movie by someone in post. Oh yeah. Um, that I feel like my focus, I'm grateful that I also like know the benefits of what, um, even on a, when movies have to move so quickly, like just the benefit of what you can get from, um, if there's a reason for it, for like a longer take or what, uh, what that, the emotional re resonance, the payoff of those moments can be. Right. Um, cause I could see myself just being like, oh my God, just literally cover everything from every angle so that, you know, I could make this movie, you know, into a, a it doesn't even have to be about a family if I decide to add enough voiceover and in post. Now, when you when you go when you start your writing process, how do you approach the the process in general? Uh, do you go with characters first, plot first? Um, you know, how do you actually approach the process in your world? Uh, it's a little different every time. I, it ends up being centered around the characters, but in this case. I, the initial impulse was like, I was feeling a lot of fear and anxiety about, you know, I was at my day job, just about life in general, financial crisis had just hit, I was mm -hmm. an assistant at a law firm, thinking about writing my next play. Um, I, I always like to write from fear or questions I can't answer. So I guess that's not character. But in that realm, I was thinking like, well, why I guess I should be I'm, I'm I, a lot of things are keeping me up and I, I should maybe, what would it mean if I decided to write about these questions I can't answer or these fears I'm having? Money, anxieties, worries about health and health insurance, and it all feels so mundane. Um, and I've always loved the psychological thrillers, horror genre. I've always loved being scared. I was always the person who wanted to go on the haunted mansion ride or the haunted mm -hmm. house. And I just thought, uh, I've never written anything genre, but I was like, what if I write a play about people I love or the things that are keeping me and, and people I know up at night. And it's actually like somehow the story itself is like actually scary, but like mm -hmm. viscerally scary. And so I was like that, I think I might like to see that. And it might, might keep my interest, might. So I thought I was going to do something away from character, super genre, <laughs> almost, almost like a slasher movie, like where I would put a family in a haunted house and watch ghosts jump out of closets and and i still want to see that movie and maybe i will see that movie and and those movies exist but but I, I just when i put the people into the house i started to really love them they got more and more complex and that kind of like three four 17 layers deep kind of layers of character doesn't necessarily um lend itself it, it sort of almost takes it out of being pure genre even if you're trying to make it mm -hmm. pure genre uh, so that was the origin of, of the humans on stage as sort of, it went from being what I thought was going to be more of a camp, uh, stage thriller, like death trap, like a throwback to these like sleuth, yeah. one of those old commercial Broadway hits that didn't really exist anymore. Um, and it just kind of, in spite of myself, I ended up with, with a bit of a genre collision with something that, that really was a family drama comedy, but also completely infected by my love of 
of the horror genre. Oh, there's no, it, there's no question that the horror genre is like drizzled all over the place. Because I'm watching, the, and there's certain scenes in the movies I'm watching, and I'm going, "Is there? I, I mean, am I safe? I mean, I, I, I walked in with with this movie. I, I felt like I was watching this movie. Then all of a sudden, I was like, I, he's not gonna. There's no monster. Is there? there can't be a monster. But it was just so brilliantly done that at any moment, like I, you got me on edge. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. I trust the director. He's taking me this, I trust the storyteller. The, I can't believe like, you know, an hour and something in, they're gonna show the monster. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And it, and the monster wasn't in the trailer. So that I... <laughs> well, what's crazy is I, so as somebody who loves more genre, but also loves like like stuff that's subtle and skirts around the edges, it's, it's like, I, I, you know, you're always like create. I think I, it's like I always talk to my students. It's like you just you make the movie that it feels like the only one you can make. And part of that is running, writing towards what you want to see and what you love and what scares you, what excites you. And and I, I love movies, even when there are like literal ghosts. But I'm, I'm always disappointed, always. And with with few exceptions, like like even a movie that I'm obsessed with, like Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. you know, Early Polanski, Repulsion, of course, all these great movies. But um, Rosemary's Baby, my least favorite part, or part that I think is the least scariest, when you see the demon baby, right? And of course, get the peek into the crib. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't even want to call it a misfire because when a movie's that brilliant, you don't need to you don't need to fix anything. It is exactly what it should be. But it is funny that like um, that impulse, even in movies that I hold up as like you know. Uh, like pinnacles of of the genre it is funny that the i'm always like just as a personal like clocking where i feel like a little less scared or like oh my imagination was going to such a more interesting place than that demon that little like uh the puppet baby with the makeup and the oh yeah well i mean you don't uh, want to see the shark you don't want to see the shark in jaws yeah but if you watch the end of the humans again i promise you you will see something that will shock you that you will you're going to be shocked that it's hidden in there so explicitly and that you didn't see it. Okay. It helps when you see it big. Cause you did, did you see it on a movie screen? No, I couldn't make it to the screening last night. So I saw, yeah, I saw it on, on uh, just a small to bit. say that there is something, there is an effect of a, a potential, I don't want to say a faceless entity coming out of a wall in a way that on a rewind or on a, Oh no, I saw, will be I, like, I saw the thing that scared him. You okay. saw the thing that scared him at the, at the end. Yeah, I, no, I saw, I saw, no, I saw that. I know, I saw that completely. Yeah, when, the, when he drops this. Thing. Okay, we, I don't want to, and I don't want to give away too much. So oh, let's. We shouldn't spoil it. We shouldn't do yeah, spoiler. Okay. Like, so let's not go too deep into it because I don't want to spoil yeah. it for people. But, but I'm curious because you're, we both love Cooper. I can see Stanley's hovering oh. above you, but like I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> like, even in those movies, like how do you? It, it is a fun push and pull, and it's. I kind of love that you were thinking. I, I guess my. The, the, my big joy with this movie is that the potential feels really real in a way that maybe it didn't quite as it, much on stage, but where you actually are like, is she actually going to open a closet door? Like, is something really crazy going to jump out or is this you know, tension love, coming from? So this is what I loved about the movie, man. You know, because when you first start watching it, I walked in cold. I didn't know the story. I, I only saw a trailer. I walked in cold. So that's the way it's best way I would love watching movies. Just like, I don't want to know anything about it. Just. Yeah. Do what you're supposed to do. Did you turn the lights out? Did you turn the lights yeah, out? Yeah, everything was dark. Yeah, it was everything was dark already. Okay. Anyway, of course. I mean, I have to watch a movie in the dark. Um, so I'm watching it, 
And as I'm watching it and I the way the camera moves, which is so brilliant because you do a lot of frames within a frame in the film. I noticed that right away. There's just so much framing within framing and in framing. And the, the camera moves, I wouldn't say fly on the wall, but it's definitely distant. So you feel like you're voyeuristic in the, in the entire, this is just my feeling on it. You're voyeuristic and you're overhearing something that you might not really should be overhearing. Uh, this is pretty, pretty private stuff. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I love that aspect, but then the, the noises and the booms and then how you build that tension, which is so fascinating because I'm like, but this is not a horror movie. Uh, and this is not a thriller, I think. And that was the thing that I loved about it because it kept me, someone who's seen a thousand movies, 10,000 movies at this point in my life, kept me on edge going, wait a minute, is, the, is there a monster here? And then, Oddly enough, I feel the monster is within the family. <laughs> there's so many, there's so much of that within the characters and the stuff. Some of the stuff that the characters are saying, I'm like, Jesus, these people are horrible. Uh, like, they're so mean. Um, and I'm like, that's my family. I know that. I got that person in my family. I got that person in my family. I got that person in my family. They would say something like that. So it's like this, it was just such a, and the thing is, the thing I love about it, and then I'll let you, I'll, I'll ask you another question, but the thing I love about it is that on face level, it didn't seem like it was, it was like it, it was, a, I was going to be a good story. I knew it was going to be well-written and all of that. But it, I, I, when you first, the first few frames, you're just like, this is, I didn't expect what I expected. And that's so rare in today's world that you walk in thinking something and you walk out thinking something else. And it's so hard to do that nowadays because we're so jaded and so literate visually and seeing so many things for us to be surprised and anything. And it wasn't a cheap surprise. It wasn't like the cat jumped out at you. It was just done on a psychological level. May I say almost Kubrickian in the way that it gets under your skin a bit, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I don't even know that I want to say anything other than uh, I, I, it's no, it's a real joy to just listen to somebody, you know, process the the film. It's 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 a private experience for so long. You you sort of make it and you hope you, mm -hmm. you long for the opportunity to hear what other people think and experience. And um, yeah, like from from the, the the voyeurism. I mean, it's interesting. It's such a slow burn and the movie in a way that I was really hoping or, or couldn't really anticipate was how many people like you kind of come in cold in a way that the dream was that that there would be need to be no preparation that this wasn't the type of adaptation that was like you loved the play now come and see the movie <laughs> that it was really its own entity and so the surprise element which um i guess i'm most proud of because it it felt it feels like it's born out of the just the emotion of uh the the ride of the story the characters and their journey that sort of um bending a really familiar thing that we all know but so slowly while also not being dishonest it's from the opening frames everything the dna of what i'm doing is embedded in the shots I and mean, it's a very bizarre opening shot of a dad to be hiding behind like the molding in a distant like you said so part of you knows and yet i also wanted the audience because none of it needs to be processed you know, consciously 
which is part of like, you know, watching Kubrick, it's like, you don't even know what some of those images and the frame oh. is doing to you or what, what the focus, yeah. but, but you just know that you're feeling unsettled. And so I was actually blown away by using domestic drama mm -hmm. comedy, how it's such a familiar thing, right? It's in our bones. We know what the family have in Thanksgiving. We know what the, these movies do. We know what they do and we love them for it. And so I was surprised how just shooting them differently. I mean, literally working with my cinematographer and just framing them in unfamiliar ways. Right. How much power that has almost because it doesn't announce itself. It doesn't that like, you know, you noticed it. You were like, OK, he's keeping his distance. This is a lot of a lot of empty space here. For, yeah. But it but to an audience who's just going to watch a movie, you, you sort of like the slow burn of it um, as you sort of the movie teaches you how to watch it. I think if you, you forget it more and you almost don't know where the dread or the creeping suspicion that something's off. I don't even want to say dread, but like by just the power of cinema, of, of just the visual imagery of just image by image is that you can hold familiar things right. a little askew. You can go down a tenement hallway, uh, you know, on the right focal length. And you're just like, why am I scared watching Amy Schumer walk down a hallway? Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not a weird moment. I just laughed at her in June Squibb, like what's happening. And, you know, last night, like the Paramount's so great because it's such a large oh, space. It's huge. And it went from a laugh line about, you know, Amy's like, should, am I, should I just dump, do you want me to just dump grandma down the staircase? <laughs> How am I supposed to, supposed to get it down there? To just cutting to the next shot of this red, this like blood red. Yes. Uh, with with that lovely. Hallway. With that lovely image on the on the on the elevator, <laughs> with the lovely image on the elevator, but like the audience, and this is something that's like now I'm just getting experience for the first time. Just kind of went, oh, like like they felt something about that was eerie to the point that there was like 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 the way that one does in a horror movie where you just what? instinctively know it's like too claustrophobic. You want June Squibb to have more room in her wheelchair. And I just love that. I mean, that's the power of like a photograph and the, like the moving picture is like you, the, the, just how powerful the frame is. And I think for me, it was always a balance of not to lean too much into mm -hmm. like, I, I think the things I love about the genre are what I hate about it. And that I hate being told so early on that a scary thing is coming. Uh, like right. with music, like with a sting and, and I still love it because it's like, oh, a scary thing's about to happen and then it happens, but it's still satisfying. And, but the humans is kind of playing with all the tropes that I love, like, like wrapping my arms around them, but also like, what if it's also like a horror movie with jump scares, but also much quieter? What if it doesn't have the lead in underscoring of a horror movie, like the thing right. that telegraphs like creepy creepy and weirdly for the movie like this i think it makes it feel a little like Creepier. more creepy yeah oh absolutely like there yeah. should be someone should be telling me more how to feel like someone should be holding my hand as an audience member because we're so used to that like this is no. a scary scene or this is a funny scene you know you you, you definitely leave the audience out there you're guiding them, but you leave them out there. You're like, like you said, you're not guiding them. So yeah. they're kind of just like, I have nothing to hold on to. I like what's going on. And and it gets, gets worse in the best way possible. As this, as the film goes on, as you build it, you just start like, I can't hold, I can't hold on to this thing. I can't hold on to the score. There's no monster. Like, and you're just like, but I don't, so you're off kilter completely. And it's so brilliant. That scene in the hallway I mean, you're using blood red 
as the, co- the the door, the cover of the elevator. So I'm like, and and all the other stuff. So I can understand why people felt like a little bit off there. But, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Kubrick, I mean, I was trying to explain to my, to my wife who's never seen The Shining before. She's like, is it a scary movie? And I go, I go, it's not as much that it's scary is that it gets in your bones. And, and it's that, it's not like there's, yeah, there's a couple of scary images in it, but it's not really all like, it's, it's not a horror movie in this, in the grand scope. And it has that kind of just eeriness, the way things are framed, the way things are sitting there. And there were, there were touches of that in, uh, in the humans, which was so beautiful. Cause you just like, I just feel weird here. I don't know why. And it just gets you, it gets inside you. And that is not a super, that's not superficial. Like a lot of horror movies are, or a lot of cinema is a lot of times it's always on the front, but when you can get inside someone's psyche or in their bones, that's you've, you've achieved something. No question. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. It is really hard and you never know, you know, what, what works for one person might not work for another person who, you know, I respect everybody's, opinions and taste. And so it, I also don't, you know, I don't think somebody's wrong if their adrenaline only gets fueled by like, <laughs> you know, quick cuts. And I think, you know, we are who we are. And so, it, but there, I, I sort of share that love of the like, um, you know, why can't I stop thinking about, you know, the tenant? It's like these movies that feel deeply imperfect, or why can't I stop thinking about The Shining? <clears throat> but why does the imagery still to this day, you know, oh. more than a movie that might, might be so hell bent on exploiting the well, why just dump blood in the the hallway that's not scary what if we see shouldn't we be seeing people split open that spills the blood into the you know so even the the people come away from the shining thinking of it as like the ultimate like gory movie it's almost it's, like you have to see it again to really remember <laughs> that like intestines the movie's not about like intestines being <laughs> being thrown and eaten at every every twi- turn it's almost like I agree with you that it's more shocking how much it is about like the architecture and the framing and and the fun thing about like making the humans was going down the wormhole of like pre-war architecture and empty mm-hmm. space and you know there's there's That's... been a lot of like interesting writing about like the horrors of empty space and and that in empty the more empty the frame the more horror is implied but it's also a lot to like take the leap We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show. To hope that, you know, because I think other people understandably are just like, fill the frame. Like, I no, no, don't, don't, I don't make me be patient. And like what you said was the goal, but also a lot of people um, in a way that I understand as somebody who likes to watch like a good rom-com every now and then, like I literally will tune in in those moments to watch a movie when I want the handholding or I don't, I want a, right. a movie or a TV show that's going to tell me what it is at every turn. I don't want to have to be like, what's going on? Why am I feeling this? You know? yeah. And then of course my favorite movies are movies that, that, you know, take that journey and take that risk and feel like complicated people. Like, you know, my favorite movies have this, they feel like people to me, like in the same way that, my favorite people on the planet um, are not all good or all bad. They're complicated, mm-hmm. but they're specific, but they're like so specific. Mm-hmm. And so you can revisit them again and again and again and again, because they never really bore you or there's something that just feels authentic about um, 
the fact that they're sprung from like a vision instead of like my biggest fear, which is like movies made by committee, you know, mm-hmm. where you almost, or too many, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about collaborations, like where people choose to work in teams. I'm talking more about like, you know, four writers got fired, the other writers got brought on, then 17 <laughs> more writers got came out of the project, then 54 sure. more uncredited writers got brought on, and then, um, <laughs> you know, and then three producers re-edited the movie after it got taken away from the director, and maybe sure. two years from now we'll see Scott. And so, yeah, there's, there's the beauty in A24 in that they've essentially found success in movies that are those movies, or mm-hmm. that, 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 um, let's just say they're just they're not faced by slightly genre bending or or hard right. to pin down um so i also feel like i had i had like the right home to to do the those kinds of things that you're talking about now you know the the humans is originally a, a play and that play won a tony award i gotta ask man what was it like winning a tony award <laughs> I mean, that's great. It's also like <laughs> the, the big gift of like awards is that they don't, it's not that they don't mean a lot. They, they yeah. do. And that it's like, it, you know, it's like, it's like a, you know, it's, it's an, it's affirmation. It's a nice thing. You're, it, but like the, it almost like the real gift of like getting the golden ticket, like in a moment like that is that it also shines a light on how the real like joy gifts everything about what you do it really just comes from like are you making stuff that you feel like how do you feel about what you're doing right and no external you know and so the moment you get it or you get the brass ring i'd say it, it kind of just confirmed like why i was staying on my day job to make to, t- to write the plays that i was writing why you know i never took uh, like more commercial screenwriting options that just that i just didn't want to i think there's nothing wrong with taking them but just I didn't feel like drawn to the specific projects or um, in other words, I just think I, it's, it's not that it's a piece of hardware. It has meaning. It's just that it also sort of reminds you that the, um, the that kind of um, looking to other people to give you a, right. a trophy is also is not where it's at. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a great lesson to learn. And I think, I think I, I had that, crazy good fortune that come my way um you know in my mid-30s which is great that it didn't happen to me when i was 22 oh god i've actually thought <laughs> i might have thought that it did mean something it didn't yep but that i actually am fancy and instead <laughs> it was just a season like incredible i mean the, what's fascinating is it was it was up against the father which mm-hmm. became a, a movie last year the one with anthony hopkins and yeah. olivia coleman so there's like two <clears throat> It's fun to see, like, uh, uh, you get after, there's often long droughts of like plays that become movies, and it's it's fun, funny to see in one season, like, um, that we both got our movies made, uh, uh, and he did such a brilliant job. But to just to say, I, I mean, does that answer your question? No, it, it it does. No, it does. And and it it's because I've, I mean, I've had Oscar winners, I've had any winners on the show, I've talked to, you know, and I always like to ask that question because I'd like to see. There's so many people listening think that's the, that's the end goal, and I, I always like when you win the Oscar, you've got maybe a, a three minute, four to five minute situation. You don't even remember it when you're up there, is from what I understand, and then. 
you're whisked away, you do a bunch of press, and then it just starts to wean away. But I've talked to so many people who've won those awards who afterwards were depressed because they're like, where now? Where do I go now? Because they associated so much to those awards. As opposed to know what you need to associate is the journey. Have fun in the journey because that's a lot longer than that one minute. And it's also, it's just, you know, going back to like the staying connected to work that comes from your 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 gut and your heart or or just that 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 you're obsessed with. I don't mm-hmm. even have to make it like a, a Hallmark card. You know, the joy that comes from being like obsessed with what you're making, you know, it feels very childlike and very cliched, but it's like nothing is better than that. And then taking the journey to try to make something that has meaning to you that you want to share and make with others. It's it's just it's just where it's at. And the uh, everything else is a red herring. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's it's just a red herring. It's just like dangling. It's like, oh, what are all these sci fi movies? I feel like it's like I just watched Lynch's Dune again. And it's like the spice. It's like, you know, it feels like it's the spice. It's like a hallucinogen. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like one of those movies where you, you spend the whole like looking for the golden snicket or one of those things. And it's and, and then you you know, it's so cliched, but it's like. And, and, you know, I experienced this with I have incredibly brilliant students and I'm so impressed with everybody that I, I get the chance to work with every year. And then, and I'm just like, you have to, like, leave room for how hard it is to the, their fears about, like, the focus is like, I want an agent and I want to get this. Oh, I want to get in at these. But yeah. thinking about all the wrong things. But, you know, you also remember the hunger and how those things do feel important because before until you have some validation you feel like that's what's going to make you a writer that's what's going to make you a director and it's like i do tell them that (laughs) but it's it's funny to see you know to make space for like the feelings on both sides but uh the best gift of it is it just for in my case it sort of refocused me to not um uh just to see for what it is like a, mm-hmm. a, a great sort of feels like a like a slice of birthday cake and just nice. like a delicious piece of birthday cake you eat it it had too much icing on it you end up feeling a little like uh, should i have eaten that piece of cake but it was delicious you don't regret it and then you know the next day it's gone and so you're just um i'd say the big thing that's uh uh is true about awards which which is hard to admit because it feels as somebody who um you know, doesn't have a publicist and is not going to chase them. Yeah. Uh, they do get more people to see your work. And so, so I would say like, it would be a lie to say that if, you know, you win the Tony award for best play or you win the Academy award for best picture, you know, the thing that if someone were to say like, well, do they have any value? I would, my answer is no, in terms of personal value, but yes, they do. in terms marketing of more eyeballs. Yeah. And marketing, seeing, branding, everything. Although yeah, absolutely no question. So, so there's, there's, to me, there's a bit of a sadness in that, like, I don't, I hate (laughs) the focus that gets put on awards. And, um, I also hate that these things that I don't think have truth beneath them or literally mean that you wrote the best play of the, like, in a a godlike way, I hate that they do really result in, um, you know, and being cinephiles, like we all have those screenplays and movies we're obsessed with where, you know, Almost everybody's favorite movie did got ripped off or snubbed. I mean, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Or I was just saying, (laughs) I read some crazy article where someone was like, will this be Paul Thomas Anderson's year where like he finally gets recognized? I was like, Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't been recognized by the Academy? I I know you you read my mind. I'm like, wait a minute. Did he he not get like an Oscar for 
a script. <laughs> he, he must never been gotten gotten the golden ticket or something. But neither did Kubrick. Neither like, did Kubrick. But of course, it doesn't matter. It's like is, is <laughs> so you know, or or someone like even you know, Stanley Kubrick. It's like it's like uh, uh, you know, we know these things. It's like they're totally true. And then, sure, 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 sure. You know, I'd say that just so I don't sound completely like Guy Smiley. I'd say the complex thing is that they really can help a movie's uh, get seen by more Absolutely. people. And, you know, Absolutely. as as writers and directors, like, of course, it, it feels like a lie to not say, like, that is part of the dream is that people also see your work, uh, especially in the independent film market. It does feel like it's just so hard to get. Right. Um, especially in this landscape. How do you when, when you can't do platform releases anymore? Like, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. What is what does it mean for for these movies um, to just get blasted to very quickly to thirteen hundred screens and then to VOD and right? Um, you want to yeah. get people to watch it. You want to get people to watch it. I have to ask you. So I've talked to so many screenwriters and 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 filmmakers in general that they talk about the zone and tapping into that that place, that creative place where you can, you know. Whatever comes, I, I always consider myself a, a conduit. I think many of the people I've spoken to who are writers specifically, they're like, I, I don't write this. I just, I'm here and it comes to me and it just comes right through me. But there's certain people that know how to go there and tap into that all the time. What is your process to kind of center yourself, to get to that place where these ideas flow in and you you can just like, like Tarantino says it so beautifully. He's like, I'm not writing this. I'm just, I'm just a dictator. I'm just a, a sonographer on these guys talking, you know, and yeah. he gets into that place. And there's so many people who know, uh, screenwriters who know how to do that almost on demand, but it's rare. <laughs> how do you yeah. do it? How do you do it in your work? Um, I... I don't rush it. So I, I, I'm not the person to hire if you need, if you need like a very quick, <laughs> a quick two week, week two, yeah, two, three week turnaround. <laughs> um, I become obsessive and I let myself, I'll tell you what I do. I, I like with this film, I very much felt haunted by, um, uh, uh, Ali Ferrit's the soul, a fast bender film because of mm -hmm. the way it held it's middle-aged female character in this pre-war architecture, a lot of frames within frames, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, Kislowski being very in the oh, three colors, like being very close, very distant. And so, so I had this concept of like running with that and being something felt very right about not filming it traditionally and being very close or very wide and not a lot of in between. So I let myself like do, I do research trips a lot before I write. So to your point about the zone, I don't force it. I'm not the person that's still at 7am writing 10 pages of a screenplay. If I'm feeling stuck and a little blocked, I will go back to a really like visual place, especially um, that tends to get me excited and it gets me more in the zone. And it just gets me thinking in a way that is more filmic and more um, uh, dimensional. And, you know, I watched Yi by Edward Yang like a hundred times and it's just a movie. Uh, I mean, I found it years ago because it was on some obscure, like, thank you, Martin Scorsese. It was like on one of his like top 10 movies of right. the 2000s. And I was like, what's this movie? Um, but it's filmed very wide. It's also people spill very like Ozu's people spilling in and out of the frame, but very patient. And so I kind of just let myself when I'm not in the writing zone, like go into a watching zone right. and watching other people's work and feeling, um, 
doing a lot of reading. And usually that points me back to the writing, like back to where I'm ready to open final draft and get going again. But I, I don't have the, the practice of like pushing through five screenplay pages every day. I don't think that's a bad practice. I just, you know, Not for you. you know, part of creative is also figuring out what your own craziness and processes. <laughs> and for me, I do really get sort of like fuel from um, more dimensional thinking. And that, that often involves reading, um, visual art, and just and watching movies. So. Now, what advice would you give a Phil Baker trying to break into the business today? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I would say the, the core thing that has never sort of altered is just is um, it, the focus on work that comes from your gut level place. Mm-hmm. Uh, making 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 movies or or coming whatever you're creating a short film play feature uh keep keep the focus on the the kind of movie that only you could make and stop looking to these external guides or wow that did really well at that film festival or that was a big hit last year and you can you can play that game and you can probably do it even really well. I mean, I think I think a lot of people probably do. I just feel like my advice would be I've gotten the most traction, success, personal happiness on the journey in making these things by by focusing just yeah, re- being reminded that the the largest thing you can make is often the thing that's already inside you, like the the kind of thing that the qualities and quirks and the sense of humor mm-hmm. and the weird sense of everything about yourself is that you actually have. It's so freeing to me as opposed to thinking like, I got to make this movie more important with a capital I by writing about someone else's family or right. I know she'll be pregnant. Like suddenly you start drawing from these ideas that are so external. And I think it's much more frightening and hard to remind like, especially young writers how once you if you actually accept that the biggest ideas are already some, somehow like locked inside of you mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's almost scarier because it's it's a nice like scapegoat to be like what am i what will my next film be i it should be something like that or a war movie or big it's it feels very abstract because you're drawing on um influence in the wrong way instead of like knowing from a gut level like i want to write about my mom or i want to write this comedy i want to make myself laugh like doing something that feels no matter how abstracted it becomes right like but when you're anchored in that i just feel like you never go wrong even when you're screwing up and you have to and you are failing and you have to try um to figure out what the structure is that'll hold that that gut level um idea it's Mm -hmm. It's just the the only way that I think I know you 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 go wrong in a million ways is when you start from the other place. Like, wow, it seems like these things are doing really well. Or no, or it, like, I guess I should write a horror movie. You know, it's it's always it, and then it comes from the wrong place. No matter how talented you are, it comes it it never sort of yeah. The journey is never as rich. I always tell people that the the best. The only thing that you have that makes you different in the marketplace is your own secret sauce. It's that thing inside you that nobody else has. And I was talking, not to drop a name, but David Chase, who is the, the, the creator of The Sopranos, of course. And he wanted to write a movie about his mom, <laughs> his 
His, and that's how The Sopranos was brought to the world. You know, he wasn't going, you yeah. know what's you know what's big now? Superheroes. Like he didn't say that. <laughs> so it was that. And what Or like somebody that he's influenced being like not knowing the people never know that the deep personal connections, even creators who write mob movies or right. series of it. That and so so the hilarity is so many young writers try to imitate the Sopranos and create something that they think is about crime guns and, yeah, yeah, and they think that's what's underscoring the Sopranos, which isn't this, the reason Sopranos is so unbelievable is, is it's all the emotional undercurrent that clearly like David's connection to these characters mm-hmm. is the undergirding. You think it's the action and, and the, the, all these, and that's, that's delicious, but it's the, that's the secret sauce is not that is not the guns and the, and the murder. It's, it's that part of yeah. I mean, I didn't know that he said that. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I also, I want to steal the secret sauce because it'll save me a lot. Of, I feel like my answer is so okay. long-winded. And I'm like, it's, yeah, it's about the secret sauce. <laughs> it's about the secret sauce. It's the only thing that you have. Like, it's only the only thing, your life experience, your your interests, your things like you, like things that I couldn't write the humans. No one can write the humans. Only you can write the humans. And you couldn't write you know, the Sopranos, because only David could write the Sopranos. And that's the thing is you got to find that thing with inside you. Uh, that's so brilliant. Do you feel the, like, do, do you feel the struggle yourself though? Like how easy it is? I guess the counter of this should be like, it is really easy to get away from Like it can be hard to keep reminding yourself, like, oh, like it's, when you're getting from that place. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I, I chase the dragon. I call it chasing the dragon, I chase that dragon so much like, oh, that's hot. Or I'm going to be like that director. I'm going to write like this person. And I did that for so many years till I finally, I guess, and this only happens as you get older, you just said, no, I need to, I need to focus on what's inside me. And the second I started doing that, my work got better. I was doors opened up, you know, I was think that things just started to lay themselves out at me where I didn't have to work as hard to get certain things. Whereas when I was trying to chase the dragon, all there was is block, 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 block. Oh, you're almost there. Nope. Take it away. Block, block. Almost there again. Oh, nope. Block. And it was just so fascinating to like, and, and only when you finally, I guess you're when you're comfortable enough in your own skin and it takes a minute for you to do that in life. You know, some, some kids, some guys have it in their twenties, some guys and gals have it in their twenties. I didn't. Like you said, when you when you got your success was in the mid thirties, and thank God it was because you probably would have lost your mind in your twenties, and I would have lost my mind in the twenties. Sure, I, I would have lost my mind. Yeah, yeah, of course, we would have probably self destructed because we weren't prepared for that. Um, one person, a, a friend of mine, an actor, said this a great comment, and he's like, "When you're uh, when your fame is like a bucket of water." We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And when you're when you're young, you're a seedling, and inside the bucket there's a seed, and the water comes in and just swashes you all over the damn place. But when you get older, the roots take place, and then when the water comes in, you don't move as much. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? Wait, who do we have to? Who do you credit that to? That's so amazing. that was just, is that a friend of yours? That is Carlos Arosraki from Reno Nine One One. And he was playing a character in my first feature and his character was like a guru and he just splurted that out. And I'm like, Carlos, I know you're trying to make fun of the guru, but that was damn good. <laughs> and I quote that quote all the time. Cause I'm like, that's an amazing, I don't know if he got it from somewhere else or not, but that's where I heard it from. So uh, shout out to Carlos Alasraki from Reno. 911. 
the illusion and what I see with, <laughs> with younger writers a lot too, is that what's very funny is like the first taste of any kind of success mm-hmm. people you're, you're then the way to, there's this illusion that the way to capitalize on it is that the opportunity that comes your way is, is often like people seeing your special sauce and then trying to weirdly like capture your special sauce, but then add their own ingredients to it because maybe they want you to staff right for a show where oh, your special yeah. sauce then easily get drowned out. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn for a lot of younger writers too, because who can fault anyone for wanting a good paycheck and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, and I, and I went through one process. I mean, I have not written a ton of screenplays. I've written two before this, both got made one. I saw a third of it got rewritten a gay character got turned straight you know but it was even in those things that they're valuable lessons in terms oh. of um even like now going forward it's like well what what uh, if i ever do write a play that i think could be a film you know uh the play before this sons of the prophet i was happy to just let it not become uh a movie because once you, but you have to sort of live through these things and once you live through the fact that like a little bit of extra money doesn't actually make you happy like if you're waking up mm-hmm. and working on something that you yes that's causing you a lot of stress and i'd fall asleep at night going like no there should be two gay people on this movie why is there, <laughs> why is one of them now straight it's not going to be more commercial it's going to be a disaster um you know it's it's like it's like okay well you have to when you're in your 20s you have to learn that lesson before yes. you really feel the truth of it because in your 20s after like you know a day job for 10 years i was like i think maybe I think maybe the security and this money for a year was going to will make me exclusively happy in a way that I am underestimating. And then I had it and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, I don't like buying a lot of clothes anyway. Like, I don't. I do want to be able to pay my rent. I, but I but once you have your portrait every day, like every week anyway. Yeah. And so so this so this didn't feel fancy in the way that I thought it would feel fancy. And and I do think some lessons have to be learned. I mean, I guess, I guess it's, oh, it's like, not easy, but I, why I love talking advice like with you and this, it's, it's like, it's like the, it's like how to find that sweet spot of like, not forgetting that, like you arrived with a certain degree of knowledge. Um, but by also by like needing to learn some of it viscerally instead of like, uh, thinking that like, yeah, if I was 22 and someone gave me this talk, I would just believe them and would just, Oh no. If someone gave me this talk at 22, I would have said you're yeah, whatever. I know everything. You know, nothing. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm serious. No, that's the way, you know, it. that's the way it was when we were 22. It's just like, you look at someone would have had this conversation. They could have given us the keys to the universe, literally. And they're like, if you, if it it could have been me from the future coming back, talking to my younger self. And I would go, dude, I've gone through this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this, do this. Invest in Apple at seven dollars, and everything is gonna be fine. <laughs> also, Roth IRA. Right. Roth. Roth. Where Roth. was the Where was the guy? Someone should have given me that lecture. If you don't have parents that know how to save for money, you need to some. You gotta Google it. <laughs> Absolutely. Start your own Roth. You just gotta do it. And uh, last question, sir, because I have to ask this question: three of your favorite films of all time. I feel like I kind of gave them away in the making of the human. So it's like I've, I've listed three films, but that Ali uh, Fury, the soul, mm-hmm. uh, incredible love story, uh, inc- incredible drama, incredible everything about it. I love uh, striking movie in every sense of the word and completely surprising. Um, uh, I guess this is three movies, but the three colors trilogy, I, oh, I they're, they're, one of them, they're the best three colors, red, I love amazing, them. but. Double life, of, double life of Veronique. Oh, 
set up a life of Baroness. Uh, so I guess I could be giving away. I guess that is three movies. Um, yeah. Edward Yang is a favorite as well. And I feel like there's so much in the horror genre and psychological thrillers that, uh, like, it's hard to be asked this question because the truth is I just want to sit and just keep hearing yours. And then I want to say three back. And then I want you to say three more. (laughs) And I want to go, oh, yeah. Because even in, like, with the Stanley Cooper, it's like how to not, like, 2001, like, I still remember, like, actual feelings I had when watching something, even the first time when I didn't understand it, I just remember like, like feeling like things, um, worlds expanding, like you, because I didn't grow up with going to like some sort of sophisticated, uh, arts camp or something, or right. uh, I felt like I was in college really sorting this out in my twenties before I was even exposed to a lot of, um, incredible, uh, uh filmmakers and auteurs. But Stanley is one of those people uh, who like, like 2001 weirdly slipped its way into my um, like, like blockbuster experience in in high school. And I just do remember like, like just a kind of like understanding something you don't even understand that there's a whole way to um, reveal yourself and other worlds through art that is just like beyond what you even thought was possible it's, because i didn't think people were allowed to do things like not at that level not at that level not with that not budget that not with that not budget with that. not with that budget my friend <laughs> so but basically i guess what i'm saying is like this game is only fun for me if we if it's just 45 minutes of us talking about because i don't actually have in the same way that i i think awards are bogus i don't really believe in favorite films i just believe in like the 170 movies that have most <laughs> right exactly and i feel like this conversation is something that you would have heard at three o'clock in the morning at a denny's um after watching a midnight showing of of a kubrick film i feel this is what this conversation would be like and you're laughing if everyone not listening this you're laughing i don't want I don't want to just go with you, get the Grand Slam special, and just go have that conversation. <laughs> it's exactly what the like. That is exactly what that takes me back to Scranton, and I do want to, like the moons over my Miami. <laughs> do you remember that? Of course, I remember that. And you and you would. Place. Hey. Oh God, it was a happy so place. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll go. With, I'll go to the mid. Let's find the next midnight screening. I'll meet you there. Oh my God. And now we can zoom. At- Denny's, so we'd have no excuse. Uh, oh my so God, that that's amazing. We are next interview. Steven, man, thank you again next so much. First of all, I mean, where can people see the movie? So uh, we're going to open in, uh, I don't know how public this is yet, but we're going to be in about 20 cities on November 24th. Okay. Um, so uh, anywhere you can Google and find out which, which uh, art house cinema is playing your the uh, uh, the new movies is that will be revealed very soon. But November 24th, day before Thanksgiving um, Mm -hmm. uh, in theaters uh, and then rolling out largely slowly after that. But that's awesome. 20 20 markets starting November 24th. I am. I'm so you can. I am so glad. I am so glad the powers that be gave you the keys to the car so you can drive this thing. And I'm so glad that you were, that they gave it to you. And I hope you continue to get the keys and you continue to make amazing films. Cause I, I want to see what else you come up with my friend. So thank you again so much for being on the show and, and uh, keep making great movies, man. Hey, same to you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank Steven so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Steven. 
If you want to get links to anything we talk about in this episode, including how to watch his new film, The Humans, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 278. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 